Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Yo, what's up, listeners? Welcome to another episode of Thinking Outside the Boombox, your number one source for hip-hop and R&B news. <laughs> My name is Ahmad, and I am your host. It is Sunday, June 12th, and the time has come. This is the final episode of Thinking Outside the Boombox. It's been seven years. It has been 220 episodes And I am finally hanging up the mic, turning off the headphones, cutting off the lights. Wow. Yeah, that was so dramatic, wasn't it? Um, Let me jump right into it and introduce my guest for this episode. Um, She has been on the podcast a number of times before. You may remember her from the Back in the Day Tournament Volume 2, where we uh, had many discussions to determine the best R&B album of the past decade uh, in the studio for the last time. It's my wife, Karen. Say hello to the people. Hello, people. It's good to be with you again. (laughs) There she is. Here I am. There she goes. There she goes again. (laughs) (laughs) That is all of the lyrics I know of that song. Um, Yeah, welcome. Hello. Thank you. How do you feel about being on the the podcast one final time? Uh, It it feels like an honor. It feels uh, sentimental. I've been (laughs) physically present when probably like 180 of those 220 episodes were recorded. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, So uh, TOTB has been uh, a constant presence in our our marriage and our lives and (laughs) Um, well, yeah, I've I've actually been doing this podcast longer than we've been married. That's that funny. is that is true. <laughs> that is true. So, um, 
I'm really proud of you. I'm excited to get into this last episode. Give the people uh, one last like taste of your brilliance and look into the hip hop and R&B world and then send the show off, uh, you know, into posterity. <laughs> into posterity. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that would be that would be nice for the show. Um, yeah. Uh, so Karen is here. Because um, if you've been um, here for this final season, you know that I have been uh, on somewhat of a farewell tour where I brought back many guests who have been on the show a number of times and this time allowed them to choose the topic that we would discuss in the Dig Deeper segment. Um, And then we would just have a conversation about whatever they wanted to talk about. Um, I will say I, I did not expect uh the the guests for these farewell tours to come with such heavy hitting topics um i i thought for certain there would be at least one episode where i could just i would just talk about some album that somebody wanted to talk about but no we have discussed spirituality in hip hop we have discussed production and beats as a whole in hip hop we have discussed homosexuality in hip hop um we've also discussed women in hip hop and now um uh, to end things on a much lighter note, uh, Karen, why don't you like tease up? You don't need to go into the whole thing because uh, it'll be later in the episode. But tease up what the what the topic for for the dig deeper segment is. You know, I I heard all of these high minded, uh, well rounded ideas that other guests brought to the farewell tour, and I decided to come through and choose violence. She did. She woke up and chose violence. So with that. Um, <laughs> you liked it. Um, uh, my, my episode choice, my topic for this episode is R and beef. We hear a lot about rap beef, but like, what about these crooners out here, uh, starting feuds with one another? Yeah, that's a good Wonderful. Uh, so we'll be discussing that in the dig deeper segment, but before we get into all of that, this is the last episode. So. I didn't want to do what I've been doing for most of this season because the topics have been so long where I just throw the song of the week and the press play segment in a newsletter for you to peruse at your leisure. In the final episode, it seems only right that I give you one last uh, one last segment of hip-hop and R&B news. So I will be giving you a song of the week this week on air, um, as well as going through the press play segment. And um, Karen will be here for that, and she is welcome to to join in whenever she she feels like it um, as we go through that. Um, so yeah, so without any further ado, let's jump into the song of the week. Actually, before we do that, let me talk to you about the podcast newsletter. Um, you don't need to worry about uh, joining the mailing list at this point. This is the last episode. So uh, if you're hearing this, the podcast newsletter is already out and there are no more newsletters uh, coming past this episode. So forget the mailing list. But if you would like links to um, the song of the week, any of the things I talk about in the press play segment, albums um, that I think you should check out, music videos that you should watch, all of that, if you would like the links from anything I discuss in this episode, it will be in the podcast newsletter. So if you go to thinkingoutsidetheboombox.com, hit up the newsletter tab at the top um and then all of the podcast newsletters from previous episodes as well as this one 
are there. It's a nice little library of, you know, cool songs and music videos that I think are dope and that I think you should check out. So feel free to do that um, if you want to follow along with anything that you hear in this episode. So now let's jump into the song of the week. Since this is the final episode, um, I tasked myself with figuring out what was one of my favorite outros um, for a hip hop album. And literally, this was the first one that came to mind. And I tried to, like, you know, think of more that might be better than it because I was like, well, surely I shouldn't go with the first one that came to mind. Um, and it, it all just still kind of came back to this. So my song of the week, the final song of the week for uh, Thinking Outside the Boombox is a song called A Life in the Day of Benjamin Andre. I knew it. Incomplete. Oh, did you really? Yes, I did. That was the first when I was like, which outro is he going to choose? Huh. I, I knew immediately. Um, <laughs> I yeah. thought I was right. That's funny. Uh, yeah, it's uh, for those who don't know, it is the final song on the dual album by Outkast, Speaker Box, The Love Below. Um, it is the final song on the Love Below specifically. And it is pretty much just a stream of consciousness rap by Andre 3000, which is probably one of my favorite types of raps by Andre 3000. Um, and it's incredible. It's one of my favorite songs by him. Um, it's witty. It's clever. It's funny. It's hard. Um, yeah, it's, it's one of my favorite songs off of that album. And I think one of my, my favorite outros, there were lots of contenders. You know, there was, you know, Biggie with, I'm pretty sure Suicidal Thoughts was an outro. Like, there were lots of them, but this was the first one that came to mind. And this is the one that I want to go with. Huge Outkast fan, huge Andre 3000 fan. So question for you. Answer for you, possibly. He says at the end of Life in the Day that he would continue the story. Do you think that ever actually happens? Do you think he'll release a follow-up one day? No. Wow. <laughs> I, I don't, Not I don't even think... Not even like in memoir form? Like maybe he continues? Uh, I'm possibly in memoir form, but I've, I have since let go of uh, hope that Under 3000 would release any sort of long-form music. Like he'll, he'll probably hop on a few features uh, here and there, I would say. Mm. Um but I, I don't think he's going to put out any more music, um, solo or otherwise. I think I think we're going to have to just hold on to what we have. <laughs> I think he's he's content, and that's fine. You know, be content. Ride that hey ya train <laughs> right up to the end of his days. For sure, for sure. Um, so yeah, that is the song of the week. Um, let's um, have my resident uh, pianist and string section um give you some music as we come back for the press play segment welcome back to thinking outside the boombox it is now time for the press play segment um, it's the last episode, so there's going to be lots of air horns. Um, <laughs> um, for those who <laughs> may be new to the podcast, uh, welcome. This is the last episode. Um, it was nice meeting you. Nice to know you. Um, 
This is the segment where uh, I update you all on any hip-hop and R&B news that I think is important for you to know about since the last episode. Um, It's usually broken up into three parts. There's the things that you should check out, which is where I talk to you about the things that you should check out. Um, There's the rumor mill and the announcements. Uh, Any, you know, announcements by artists, labels, rumors that may be floating around that may not come to pass, but just in case they do, I want to make sure you heard about it here first. And then the upcoming and recently released albums. So albums that have come out since the last episode, ones that will be coming out within the next month that I think you should have on your radar. So let's jump right into it. Only a few things uh, that I think you should check out. Uh, Pharrell released a new song with Tyler, the creator in 21 Savage. It's called Cash In, Cash Out. Um, It's a hit, you know, as most songs that Pharrell produce uh, produces and releases are. There's also a like claymation type music video that they released for it, which is very entertaining um, with clay uh figures of all three of them um it's very cool uh and anytime i see pharrell and tyler the creator on a song together it kind of brings me joy just because i know how much fun tyler is probably having because pharrell is one of his biggest inspirations and idols so anytime i see him getting to make music with pharrell i i feel happy for him so definitely check out this song this music video it's dope megan the stallion um released a music video for her song Plan B, um, where she is just serving the most body um, as she is wont to do. Um, It's a dope music video, a lot of cool camera work, and also she's just doing what she does best. Um, This Plan B song is pretty dope. I'm hoping it means she's going to be releasing an album sometime soon. also hope that she will be winning a court case sometime soon as well. So we'll we'll see what happens with that. Uh, Jack Harlow released a music video for his song Churchill Downs featuring Drake, um, which they filmed at Churchill Downs. Now, before uh, I heard about this song, I had no, no idea Churchill Downs was a thing. But it seems that it is a place where either the Kentucky Derby or some other sort of horse racing happens because they were at Churchill Downs to watch horse racing. Um, and that's a part of the music video as well. Um, and they're just having lots of, lots of fun, uh, with each other watching horse racing. Um, but it's a cool, that's where the The derby. Okay. All right. I didn't know if it was like some sort of off, off brand, uh, horse racing, but yeah, it's a dope video. Um, Jack Carlos has been getting a lot of flack, recently like because of the brandy thing and him not knowing who she was but also because a lot of people haven't really liked his album at all i thought the album was fine i've been listening to many of the songs off the album i think they have a lot of replay value and are like just good to listen to but i also can understand that people want more from him and he did not deliver to a lot of people's standards so he's been catching a lot of flack for that but in the end of the day he'll be fine um, finally, things you should check out. Kid Cudi released the first single from his upcoming album and TV show. Um, if you hadn't heard, he has a Netflix show produced by Kenya Barris called Intergalactic, um, where he has said that every episode will have a song associated with it. And so there's also an album called Intergalactic that is, you know, the sister or brother um, of the show. So he released the first single, Do What I Want. Um, 
and so yeah, it's 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 you know it's what you expect from Kid Cudi. You know, it's the hums, it's the like, the the braggadocio, um, <laughs> the, the the joy, you know. Um, but yeah, so check that out. Um, leading right into the rumor mill announcements, they also released kind of like a teaser trailer for the show as well. So check out the intergalactic trailer. All of that's in the newsletter. So did you see it? Like, did you actually watch the trailer? Yeah. I thought Did it was you? really cool. Yeah, that animation style looks kind of similar to um, Spider-Man. Oh, Into the Spider-Verse. Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah, it does. That's yeah. true. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm intrigued. Um, the fact that Kenya Barris is involved gave me more hope that it was going to be at least decent uh, compared to when it was just Kid Cudi's name attached to it. Sure. Um, so now I'm like, oh, okay. There's some big people behind this. We, this might actually be solid. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, some other just, like, things floating around. So I don't know if you've heard about Lil Nas X and his beef with BET currently. Um, but Lil Nas X, uh, the, the BET, the BET, BET revealed their nominations for the BET Awards, which are happening. I don't actually know when they're happening, but they usually happen in June. So possibly this month, possibly next month. They're a summer thing. Um, They revealed their nominations. Lil Nas X received none. He got upset. It was very salty. He called them out for homophobia. He addressed the larger homophobia in the black community. Uh, He teased a diss song called Late to the Party, uh, where the the chorus was fuck BET. So he's very upset. Um, BET responded with this statement. We love Lil Nas X. He was nominated for a Best New Artist BET Award in 2020, and we proudly showcased his extraordinary talent and creativity on the show twice. Unfortunately, this year he was not nominated by BET's Voting Academy, which is comprised of an esteemed group of nearly 500 entertainment professionals in the fields of music, television, film, digital marketing, sports journalism, public relations, influencers, and creative arts. No one from BET serves as a member of the Voting Academy. At BET, we are passionate advocates for the wonderful diversity that exists within our community. We are committed to using all of our platforms to provide visibility and inclusion for all of the many intersections of the black community. So that's where we stand with that. Um, I don't know about that justification, BET. <laughs> what, what all else? our friends are the nominators, actually. It's not us. It's just all our friends said that little Nas X is uh, not qualified. So, okay, bye. <laughs> I, it just feels like a cop-out to For me. Sure. I, I feel like in the landscape of hip-hop, what he delivered was, I mean, different than what anyone else is bringing. Um, I, I don't know. I, I feel like his project was really good. His visuals have been, mm-hmm. like very thoughtful and well-produced um provocative and if sure but like also BET like has not strayed away from provocative visuals produced by black artists in the past so I don't really get this snub either and it does feel like a snub yeah I I should have I should have looked up which nominations he expected to get to see who actually got them Mm. um but yeah, I mean, he he probably should have received at least one nomination. Like he had an incredible year. Um, he destroyed Billboard. Like he he did crazy numbers. So uh, he was kind of undeniable, uh, I guess, except within the black entertainment except when television. Except denied him. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, undeniable. Except uh, when BT was 
was involved. So yeah, um, that's where it stands. Uh, I'm sure he'll release that fuck BET song and things will continue. Yeah. Um, so sorry, Lil Nas X. We 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 here at uh, Shea Shea Oates uh, and the Thinking Outside the Boombox uh, community think you should have been nominated. Um, some other rumors. Um, it's been rumored for about a month that Migos are breaking up. Um, someone who had a lot of time on their hands discovered that Offset was not following either Quavo or Takeoff on social media. And so they were like, whoa, does this mean the Migos are breaking up? And then like very shortly after that, Takeoff and Quavo released a single underneath their like their like kind of duo name, Unk and Few, because they are uncle and nephew to each other. Um, so they released a new a new song. And now um, at the Governor's Ball Festival, Migos has pulled out of performing at Governor's Ball without, um, at least to us, we don't really have a reason why. So the rumors are they continue to be fueled by all of these happenings. Um, Would be sad if they broke up because I think we've all decided that Migos makes their best work when they're together. Um, I mean, I'm fine to you know, for them to continue to exploring solo work and continuing to make that better. Um, but yeah, it would be sad, especially because it kind of came out of nowhere. Like we thought they were cool. And then all of a sudden, all of this stuff. But I also do think that each of these individual things doesn't really necessarily mean that they're breaking up. Like, I mean, the following thing, like, uh, that's a little weird, but, like, who cares, really? Um, And this could also all be PR um, and, like, publicity and them just trying to, like, stir stuff up. Um, So, yeah, we'll see. Uh, Do you have any thoughts on the Migos? Um, I wish them well. I mean, (laughs) I would hate to see the breakup of an iconic friendship. The Migos no longer being Amigos would be... Quite a turn in the group's <laughs> history. <laughs> um, that that would be something. I don't know the word for enemies in Spanish, but I feel like they I would guess be too either. Brand. Hmm. Yeah. Hope they work that out. Contra Micos. No, I, I don't think Catherine, let us know. <laughs> yes, friend of the pod, member of the the academy, Catherine, let us know what the Spanish word for enemies is, please. Thank you. Uh, the Grammys have announced five new Grammy categories, songwriter of the year, best score soundtrack for video games and other interactive media, best spoken word album, best alternative music performance and best Americana performance. Americana is always a weird category of Grammy music, um, that I'm like, what does that even mean? What is Americana? Performance. I, I'm thinking like Mumford and Sons. Is that what they mean? Like white people with banjos? I don't know, but I feel like um, John Batiste got nominated in that in like one of those categories, or like American Roots or or something like last year for his uh, his album. But I didn't think that this seems like a ridiculous yeah, category. I don't know. Do they just mean like any music genre that was established in the U.S.? Um, you know what? This is important enough. Let's look it up right now. Please stall. Just start saying things. <laughs> <laughs> that is a lot to ask of a guest, sir. This uh, is your episode. Americana. What could they possibly mean by Americana? Um, so American Roots 
the award encompasses all of the subgenres of the American Roots category field, which include Americana, bluegrass, blues, folk, and other forms of regional roots music. I feel like they're using the word in the definition, and that's not, uh, not Americana, the best way to help also known as American roots music, is an amalgam of American music formed by the confluence of the shared and varied traditions that make up the musical ethos of the United States, specifically those sounds that are emerged from the southern United States, such as folk, gospel, blues, country, jazz, R&B, rock and roll, bluegrass, and other external influences. It's contemporary music that incorporates elements of various American roots music styles, resulting in a distinctive roots-oriented sound that lives in a world apart from the pure forms of the genres upon which it may draw. So I guess it's like the types of music that are influenced by other American music forms or but that or that like takes from multiple American music forms so it can't be classified as just one of those. So they just call it Americana. That's so stupid. I feel like <laughs> I feel like the Grammys have not adapted well to the continued blurring of lines between genre categories in music in general. They are historically bad at that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I am offended by the number of times they just threw around the word roots in that definition of American roots. I feel like they are trying to elide a lot of uh, social and political history in that definition of sure. like... Sure. Sure. Where all these genres came from, how they came to be tied to the South. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And I, <laughs> I hate to assume this, but it seems like John Batiste might have been a diversity play when what they really have meant in the past is white people with banjos. <laughs> yeah, I, I could see that. I would to look at who has gotten the awards anyway. Um, <laughs> here, I can actually, I can just tell you. Um, the Grammy Award... For Best Americana Album, would you like to see the last five? Sure. The last five winners... Oh, okay, so it started in 2010, this particular category. The last five were Los Lobos for Native Sons. Okay. Sarah Jaros for World on the Ground. Keb Moe for Oklahoma. Brandy Carlisle for By the Way I Forgive You. I'm pretty sure she's a country artist. Okay. Or I, mean, I guess she might just consider she herself folky. an American folk artist, yeah. Okay. And then Jason Isbell in the 400 unit for the Nashville Sound. Huh. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So, yeah, that's Americana for you. Beautiful. Um, moving on. Spotify released a teaser for a kind of mini documentary they did on Kendrick's day in Accra, Ghana. Um, I bu- huh? Sorry, it's Accra. Accra. Wow, okay. Accra, Ghana. Um, he went to Ghana, I'm pretty sure, immediately after releasing uh, Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. And I don't know if he's still there, but I'm pretty sure he was, he was there for like at least a week. Uh, after, but I guess Spotify uh, kind of detailed and profiled uh, one of his days there, and they did a little mini doc, and so they released a teaser, and it'll be coming out at some point soon. So check out that teaser in the podcast newsletter. Ray Schremer, uh their album "Shrimp for Life" is apparently in the works. 
they've been saying that for about like over three years, but it seems like they're serious about it again and things are, are kicking up and maybe that means we'll get the album this year or early next year. So I know you're a big fan of Ray Shrimmer. So. I, I really am. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> they just speak to something deep in my heart. Uh, I That's still fair. play their Christmas album. So <laughs> looking <laughs> Do you? forward to Do you really? Yeah, it's one of my seasonal faves. That's funny. Um, <laughs> looking forward to hearing the album whenever they choose to give it to us. Yes. Um, Rick Ross also apparently dropping two albums this summer, which anytime anybody ever says that, I do not believe them. It's like, it's hard for people to drop one album in a summer and you're saying you're going to drop two. I'll believe when I see it, but I will be listening. Um, Upcoming and recently released albums. uh, Just yesterday, SZA released the deluxe edition of Control. Uh, Five years after releasing the regular edition, Um, it features seven additional songs all recorded around the same time as the rest of the album, so from like 2014 to 2017. So they're like they're new to us, but they're old songs. So, um, but she also has said that she is dropping her album this summer. So hopefully that still happens. She is uh, notoriously had uh, bad um, luck with her label in <laughs> releasing albums when she wants to. Um, Next Friday on the 17th, The Game will be releasing his album Dramatic Mind vs. Heart. Joey Badass will be releasing his album 2000. Um, possibly Chance the Rapper might have something to do with that because he's been releasing a lot of like singles. And in one of the videos for those singles, it said something about him and Joey releasing something in June. And the fact that Joey's album is coming out june 17th makes me think that maybe there is a chance the rapper joey badass song on that album so look out for that logic is finally releasing vinyl days also on the 17th on the 24th giveon is releasing his debut album uh give or take lupe fiasco is releasing a new album called drill music in zion um june 30th burna boy is releasing his album love damini and Lil Baby has announced that he will be releasing an album in July. So look out for all of that. Let's take a short break and then we'll be right back with the final Dig Deeper segment of the podcast. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash post. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to Thinking Outside the Boombox. It is now time for the Dig Deeper segment. Um, <laughs> as I mentioned at the top of the hour, this is the farewell tour finale. Karen is here in the studio. She has brought a topic. We are going to discuss it. And then we are all going to go home. Karen. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> wow. Um, well, that's the agenda, folks. Um, Discuss, okay. go yes. home. So, as I was thinking about um, what I wanted to talk about, I knew that in hip-hop, beef has really been part of the fabric of the genre since its beginnings. Um, and that sort of makes sense. Hip-hop is... Um, a genre that's defined by, you know, braggadocio and um, aggression and, like, ego. So, obviously, when those factors are such uh, a defining piece of the genre and there are more than one, there's more than one person involved, <laughs> um, conflict's going to happen. And in a lot of ways, the conflict kind of feeds the music and unless the conflict results in fatalities like Biggie and Tupac's uh, beef did um, ultimately it, the, the two sort of sustain one another in a way that keeps fans interested um, and especially before social media when we had such immediate access to stars really helped fans start to understand who these individuals were who the people behind the music were um, and how they approached um, maybe conflict in their everyday lives R&B, on the other hand, um, tends to deal with more emotional subject matter than hip-hop at least did in its earliest days. Um, Tends to, um, I think, maybe have more of a feminine air or quality to it. Mm. Um, And so I I think at least that's part of the reason why um, beef was never really a big public part of R&B in the same way that it was for hip-hop. I also feel like some of the um, sort of ties between gospel and R&B in terms of like the way that the genre evolved from the gospel music scene may have uh, left some like built-in respectability politics roots in R&B music that just weren't necessarily there um, for hip-hop. So, taking a look at, like, how, how have R&B beefs, as I've come to call them, <laughs> uh, evolved in the past? How have they either fed what uh, fans come to know about 
a specific artist persona um, and how have they resolved themselves? Yeah. Um, before we jump into them, I do feel like hip hop kind of inherently gives artists an avenue and a medium to address and confront other artists about their issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's specifically a, a genre and a medium that can feed off of conflict and aggression. It's kind of just woven into hip hop's fabric. While R&B artists still have a similar platform in music, it's less common for someone to make an R&B song diss. Like, it's just not the same. Although, like, there was Timbaland and Justin Timberlake and Nelly Furtado when they made that song, Give It To Me. Um, I believe all three of them had beefs with separate people, like Timberlake and Prince, Nelly Furtado and Fergie, uh, Timbaland and Scott Storch. Um... And, and I think they all address like their beefs in one song, but that's an that's an outlier. I think two R and R and B songs that come to mind are R and B diss tracks uh, are "Obsessed" by Mariah Carey. Yes. Um, and then "Juices" by Chris Brown. Like it, it, that song, the lyrics felt very specific, and we know <laughs> that. I, we'll talk about this later, but Chris has a long history of public relationship strife so it's believable that that might have been actually targeted to someone yeah and you know there i feel like when i was doing this research there are technically tons of like i don't know it really depends on how how i wanted to look at r&b beef because there's a ton of r&b group breakups out there and we're, we'll talk about uh i guess yeah, we'll talk about one of them because um, you chose one mm-hmm. because it was big and messy. But other than that, I felt like internal conflicts between group members are kind of another beast than, you know, just like beast between R&B artists. And so I didn't really feature any of those. But then there's also an entire episode out there for someone to make about beefs between rappers and R&B stars. Oh, yeah. Like, there was 50 Cent and Sierra. There was Mariah Carey and Eminem, as you mentioned, with Obsessed. There's Drake and Chris Brown. There's Game and Chris Brown. There's Chris Brown has had a lot, and I know we're going to talk about that <laughs> later as well. Um, but, yeah, I do also think there are more than enough to mention amongst R&B artists, so we can we can hop into that. Yeah. Do you want to start with... Um, uh, what's your first pairing? I... Actually, let's... Let's get messy first. So okay. jump into the, the Destiny's Child one. Let's, okay. Let's start with that. Let's do it. First, before we get into the circumstances themselves, I have a pop quiz for you. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> do you know how many people in the world can say that they were a member of Destiny's Child? Just, Okay. Okay, so obviously at least three mm-hmm. the ones that we know. Good start. And I know there were like two other ones besides Kelly and Michelle for sure. So that's five. But I want to say there's an extra. I'm going to say six. Ding, 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 ding. Nice. Good for nice. you. <laughs> I do not know any of their the other three's names, but I know that there were three other women. Okay, we'll get into it. Um, <laughs> but Ahmad is correct. There have been six members. Oh, Latoya Luckett. She was one. She, she was, was one. one. Of them. Yes, was I do one. remember her name. Um, That's it. Okay. Um, so to give you a brief history, um, 
the group, Destiny's Child, uh, was troubled with internal strife from the very beginning. So the group started out as um, Girls Time, uh, an R&B group. That's uh, a terrible name. It, it was spelled T-Y-M-E, oh, too. Oh, of course it was. So, um, <laughs> yeah, not, not the greatest. Uh, the group was managed from the beginning by Matthew Knowles, who was known to be... Um, very ambitious to have very high standards and to push the girls to um, perform at a very high level. These girls were around 11 or 12 at the time. Wow. Um, so he uh, was known to have them run laps in stiletto heels to make sure that they could nail their dance moves in the costumes that they would perform in. So Matthew Knowles was not messing around. Wow. And... Uh, Unsurprisingly, most of the information we do know about the internal strife within the group is tied to him and his behavior. Wait, so he managed the he managed girls' time as well. He, yes. So, so he, these like their parents just left them in the hands of Matthew Knowles, essentially. Essentially, yes. Oh. Um, and some of the early members who came and went from girls' time did so because their parents just didn't agree with. Uh, Matthew's choice to highlight Beyonce uh, in the way that he did. He, they didn't agree with how hard uh, he was pushing the girls. They saw that their kids were under stress. Um, allegedly, he tried to become the legal guardian of Latoya and Latavia, oh. uh, two early members of Destiny's Child, which was part of the reason that they left the group. Did they not have later parents? On. No, they they fully <laughs> had parents. He just wanted to take the, take uh, over. We'll get there. Okay. okay, okay. So, um, <laughs> Girls' Time became Destiny's Child when they signed to Columbia Records in 1997. At the time, the group was composed of Beyonce, Kelly. Latoya and Latavia. Oh, so Kelly's been there since the beginning. Yes. Okay. Um, all the girls went to elementary school together. Um, they were friends. Um, and, like, the strain of friendship has always been a part of the group's public persona. Mm -hmm. They insist that they love each other. There's no actual beef between the, they themselves. Um, so, accusations of Matthew and the group's management overall showing favoritism toward Beyonce... Um, caused some uh, dissent within mm -hmm. the group. Mm -hmm. um, there were also allegations that Matthew was mishandling the group's finances, um, and that ultimately led to LaToya and Latavia's exit from the group. Um, that exit uh, is contested, resulted in lawsuits. Uh, according to LaToya and Latavia, they were not aware that they were leaving the group. What? They found out when the video for Destiny's Child's hit song, Say My Name, released, and they realized that there were two new members in the group and that they were not in the music Wait, group. so they were kicked out of the group. They were not told they were kicked out, and they found out because for a song that I'm guessing they performed, Say My Name, it's their vocals yeah. on it, the music video had two new women in their place with Kelly and Beyonce? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I I found a Reddit thread where I think someone who is on the younger side, as I probably most Reddit users are, uh -huh. was asking, like, how did this land with fans? Because when, when groups reshuffle members today, it's this whole big thing. And the folks who did respond said, like, first of all, the way that the Say My Name video is shot, 
it's kind of hard to tell who is in the group and who is just an extra. There's a lot of dancing, a lot of dynamic movement. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing everyone at the time did know was that Beyonce was in the group and the song <laughs> sounded great. So no one really questioned it too much. Dang, that's gotta be so salty. Um, I'd be so salty. Yes. I'm like, y'all kicked me out. Nobody even noticed I was gone. They found out on TRL. <laughs> Um, okay. so subsequently they sued the, um, the group's management, um, the so new people who, Latoya and Latavia yes. who are gone. Okay. Yeah. This is after, uh, Destiny's Child's second album was released, which they were a part of. It was called The Writings on the Wall. Oh yeah. It's the best one, I think. Um. In my opinion, I guess. But, I mean, I loved it. It was the first album I ever bought, oh, uh, with wow. my own money. Wow. Look at you. So the two new women who <laughs> appeared in the Say My Name video were Michelle Williams and Farrah Franklin, who is the bonus sixth member of Destiny's Child. Yes. Um, so the second breakup of Destiny's Child <laughs> occurred around five or six months after the release of the Say My Name video when Farrah Franklin left the group. Um, there are lots of differing accounts of why she left. Um, the group's official statement, uh, claimed that Franklin missed concerts and promotional appearances. Uh, Franklin herself claimed that she left the group because of the ongoing legal battle with Latoya and Latavia, um, and her own inability to make any decisions within the group. So again, everything kind of leads back to Matthew Knowles' behavior. So it looks like she, uh saw the writing on the wall <laughs> yeah <laughs> decided to jump ship so it seems <laughs> um yes so after Farrah left there was some speculation in music media about um whether Matthew would replace her with Solange oh um and this is around the same time that Solange and Destiny's Child recorded the Proud Family Proud Family theme song together damn oh my god Destiny's Child would have been so fire with Solange added to I Kelly agree. and Michelle oh I my agree. god wow um sad it didn't end up happening <laughs> around a year later Matthew confirmed that the group would remain a trio <laughs> uh and so we ended up with the lineup that we know today Beyonce Michelle and Kelly wow that is that is a lot. Yeah, that is messy. <laughs> he broke up twice. <laughs> and, and even today, uh, the the group officially stopped releasing new albums and touring together after their Destiny Fulfilled tour and album. Um, and Matthew still insists that they never broke up. They retired. Hmm. Did they break up? Like uh, Kelly, Michelle, and Beyonce officially? Did, was there a beef there toward no, the end? No, oh, okay. uh, it's that same friendship, oh, yeah, sisterhood okay. theme. They say they'll be friends forever. There's a lot of love there. They, of course, did the Super Bowl performance together in 2017. Yeah. Probably. Oh, when when Beyonce was yeah. Was the, that, wait, no, was that, that was the one? Earlier, that right? was the one where she shared with Bruno, right? Or was it? Wait. Because there, there was two Beyonce halftimes. There was the Formation one, and then there was the Destiny Child one, right? Or was that the same one? I really don't know. I should have written that down. I feel like there were two separate ones. Like, I feel like... Oh, now I can't remember. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think we're... I don't think it's impossible to say that Destiny's Child will do some sort of reunion tour at some point down oh, the line. Oh, yeah. I could definitely see that happening. I, I feel like because they're all still 
friends that <sighs> it's tough to say though because Beyonce is still doing very well on her own and I feel like for this to happen she would just really have to want to do it and I, <laughs> I feel like it would really depend on that I feel like if she asked Kelly and Michelle y'all want to do like you know a 10 to 15 date tour Destiny's Child like they would be like sure but I feel like it's all about whether again it's, it comes back to whether Beyonce wants to do this yeah, maybe uh, once all her kids are in high school yeah she'll have more space I mean I'll, I'll buy a ticket whenever that happens and I do appreciate <laughs> I, I have always been a big Destiny's Child fan I do appreciate that there doesn't seem to be any public static between them to this day um, yeah they still appear in uh, Beyonce's music videos from time to time yeah yeah Good for them. Definitely. All right. All right. That's a good beef. Good beef. Um, I think that's a good segue into one of mine. So I am going to talk about Carrie Hilson uh, versus the Beehive. Because even though Carrie Hilson's beef was with Beyonce, I don't think Beyonce ever acknowledged this at all. So Carrie was just kind of fighting the wall until uh, the Beehive stepped in and basically ended her career. So... Carrie Hilson, most of you, some of you might not even know who Carrie Hilson is. This is how bad this things ended for her. Um, I remember listening to Carrie Hilson a lot in the late 2000s. She had the hit Turning Me On with Lil Wayne. Uh, you all may remember Knock Me Down with Neo and Kanye. Um, also, all, all of that was from her first album in 2009. She sold over 500,000 copies of that album. Her second album, Pretty Girl Rock, had the Pretty Girl Rock song. I feel like that got pretty popular. She was making solid music. Um, do you, how, how did you feel about Carrie Hilson? Did you like her music? Do you, do you remember listening to it at all? I mean, I if you asked me in isolation whether I knew any of her music, I probably would have said no. But when you said Pretty Girl Rock, the lyrics immediately started playing in my head. So like, She was definitely in the zeitgeist. She was very popular. She was getting yeah. radio play. Yeah. Um, so in the midst of this run, um, she decided that she had some beef with Beyonce. She wanted to, you know, kick up some dust. And in her Turning Me On song, it was either a remix or in the actual lyrics to that song, she had some subliminal disses at Beyonce that the Beehive picked up on. She said, your vision cloudy if you think that you the best. You can dance, she can sing, but need to move it to the left. She needs to go have some babies. She needs to sit down. She fake. Them other chicks ain't even worth talking about. So these lyrics were apparently aimed at Beyonce and Sierra simultaneously. Um, they did not go over well with the Hive. Uh, they literally bullied Carrie Hilson out of music. Like, Beyonce never addressed the, the, these lyrics. She never addressed the beef. She never addressed Carrie Hilson. Carrie Hilson dropped these lyrics. And she started receiving threats online. They memed her. Like, this was, like, around the time probably when Twitter was starting to get big, too. Like, they memed her. They made fun of her. They literally hated her for years. Like, this was around 2009, 2010. Mm -hmm. And she tweeted, like, in 2013, she was still tweeting about how hurtful the internet was and how how their words hurt. And, and like, they bullied her for, like, four straight years for sure. Um, and she literally walked away from music. Like she hasn't put out an album since that Pretty Girl Rock album in 2010. Like 
they literally just like it was so bad that she was just like I don't even want to make music anymore and it's not funny but it's it's kind of funny because she started it (laughs) okay okay so while I was looking into other beefs this one was the one that got like thrown into other articles about other conflicts probably the most Uh and from what I saw she was pressured into including that diss lyric by her label by her label so this feels like a, just a case of someone getting bad advice. It's like the dullest diss ever. <laughs> yeah, it's not great. No names are mentioned. It's literally just general activities and pronouns. The, and because the, of the this, to the left thing. Yeah, the to the left thing is is the, I think the only thing that where you can kind of look at it and be like, mm, okay, that's. I mean, irreplaceable was a pretty huge Beyonce song. It was. Um, and so like. That connection is not hard to make. Um, like nobody was really saying to the left like that. So I, I don't know. I do think that she she was it was a Beyonce diss. It wasn't a great one. But yeah, I mean, I think that point that's a point that I think uh, some of the ones we'll talk about is a lot of these beefs between R and B artists, specifically the the women R and B artists, was like mostly manufactured or mm-hmm. like misunderstandings that like the media and the labels kind of like made bigger by like oh yeah she said this about you what you gonna do about it like that type of stuff I feel like was was big and it kind of like made these artists like have beef with each other and like not like each other just because of things that they heard rather than something actually being done and in many cases there were things done but like anyway I mean it makes sense that Beyonce would never ever addressed this at all like this was not worth her time but it it like really did pretty much in carrie hilson's musical career um and carrie actually just said last year somebody i think either was interviewing her maybe she's doing something else acting wise and they asked her about it and she said that when beyonce and carrie finally met beyonce was very nice they had a chance to talk she said it was a healing moment for her um I don't know if she's she's interested in making music now. I haven't heard anything. I know she's she's done some acting here and there, um, but like it, it was to the point. Like if you remember, Carrie Hilson was dating Serge Ibaka, who was a, a NBA know. player, <laughs> um, and they ended up breaking up. And like I remember it being a huge thing on Twitter because people were like. People were like, oh, this is that Beyonce stuff still coming back to haunt her. Like, literally everything that went wrong for her, that was just <laughs> piling it on. So. That's really rough. That's, it's rough. Like, it's rough. She, she was, she was on the way to like having like a solid career. Like, obviously not like a Beyonce career, but she could have like had like multiple years of like a, a Keisha Cole career, a Keisha Cole type career. Uh, she had the pop sound. She was making, like, she had at least a couple hits. And she and was a songwriter first. So she <laughs> yeah, she was. She wrote for a lot of people. Going. Yeah. And then, yeah. Yeah. The Beehive. <laughs> this is probably, if the Beehive had, like, a resume um, of, like, trolling and, like, them coming for artists that come at Beyonce, like, I feel like this is probably their proudest moment. They're like, oh, yeah, remember when we completely ended Carrie Hilson's career? Probably That's, so. I'm, I'm sure they hang their head on that. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah it's, an, it's an ugly moment in R&B history. <laughs> I hope whoever pressed her into including that lyric in her song has, like, made up for that in some way. I'm sure they haven't. Yeah. 
I mean, and I also feel like that's maybe part of the R&B playbook that is like a cautionary tale at this point. If you're going to manufacture a beef, it's probably best if the other people involved are aware that you're manufacturing the beef. <laughs> maybe you don't want to surprise them. Yeah. Um, because if they just ignore you, then you may get Carrie Hilson. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. What, what do you what got next? Shame. Um, what I think maybe uh, this is a good opportunity to transition into Brandy versus Monica. Yeah, yeah, I think that makes sense. Yeah. We both had them on our list. I think they're probably actually the biggest, the biggest ones out of all of these. Um, and I, I thought it was funny because like, like doing the research on this, it was just another one of those where I was like, I don't think you all actually had any beef. Like, I mean, like you, you ended up having beef, but right. like. The way it started, like, I don't, I think you all were just told that you were beefing, and so you all started beefing. <laughs> like, that's what it it seems like. A manufactured beef in yeah. which probably executives on both sides knew it was happening, oh, so yeah, they sure. managed the situation, I guess, until it actually uh, reached a peak. Yeah. Um, you all all know that, you know, Brandy and Monica teamed up in 1998 for The Boy Is Mine. Huge song. Um, it was the number one hit, best-selling song of 1998, went double platinum, nominated for three Grammys. It won a Grammy for Best R&B Performance by a Duo or Group, which is the only Grammy that both Brandy and Monica have won. It was huge. Um, it was included as a lead single on both of their sophomore albums, so they both kind of entered the game at the same time. Um, they were frequently compared to each other, and this is kind of how it all started. Like, it was always like, oh, Brandy and Monica, like, they're kind of rising stars at the same time. And so the media just kind of started, like, pitting them against each other. And then from what I, I remember, they kind of made the song to kind of, like, play into that, but also show that, like, no, we're cool, like, we can work together and make a song together. But then the media just kept running with it and like kind of spinning it that they didn't like each other and it didn't help that their like personas were actually kind of opposite each other like like brandy and monica's like public personas were kind of just like so different right so brandy was initially positioned as a squeaky clean pop princess yeah, yeah. um very much connected to the church invested mm-hmm. in like the image of a respectable young black woman right um, Aaliyah was also one of the contemporaries that both Brandy and Monica were compared to at the time. Mm-hmm. And Brandy was on record as criticizing Aaliyah for having an image that was too grown. Oh, um, interesting. Eventually they became friends, but there was some static there again, because of these comparisons. Um, and then Monica was positioned as tougher and more mature, um, which is, I think, honestly, all of this is very weird because all of these people were teenagers at the time. Like, Monica was 14 when she debuted. True. So... Uh, to, to to the point of Monica's maturity, though, the fact that she wrote, like, those songs from her first album when she was, like, 14 or something is still kind of insane to me because, like, the stuff she was talking about, just from a, like, content perspective on her first album, it's like, how do you even know about like what like it was it was very much like grown content 
Which, I think coming from a, a teenager, but I am fully with you, and I feel like this is one of the drums that I usually beat until people don't want to listen to me anymore. But like, black women aren't allowed to be innocent. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's the media makes it very easy for us to believe that a fourteen year old black girl is writing a song about like deeply felt heartbreak especially when we're positioning her as a singer songwriter and not talking about all of the grown adults who (laughs) co-wrote the song with her it's very possible that if she did come up with the original ideas for any of these songs they initially were about like meeting up with a boy (laughs) at the locker and then going to the candy store (laughs) 14 year old topics (laughs) which are then turned into like Songs that grown people can bump and grind to. For sure, yeah. The nice thing that I found in the research is that Monica said that, like, her management at the time was very invested in allowing her to actually be a child and be her authentic self, Mm -hmm. even if her public persona was more grown. So she says that she was able to grow up with a little bit more... um, more of, like, a self-possessed understanding of who she is and Mm -hmm. what she can bring to the world... Which I think then also fed into the conflict that ended up blooming between her and Brandy. Yeah, um, there were the the rumors just kind of started to fly that they didn't like each other. Brandy performed the boy's mind solo on Jay Leno. Monica was apparently mad at that. Brandy was apparently mad that Monica named her album after the song. Um, There were rumors that I think actually have been confirmed at this point by them that like during the rehearsal for the song at the MTV VMAs that they got into a fight Um, and they kind of confirmed that because when they did their verses like a couple years back, like Monica like made a comment of like, yeah, I was really out here like slapping slapping people and Brandy was like, yeah, I was one of them. And so I think they kind of. They kind of, like, confirmed that, like, yo, yeah, we actually did get into into a fight. So they really kind of let these, like, let all of these, like, rumors and everything kind of, like, just, like, make them not like each other. Um, And it didn't help because they kind of were so different. And so, like, Monica at some point said that they were just so different and they couldn't even really be in the same room with each other. And they just kind of unwittingly played into it all because they were so young. Um, they kept throwing jabs as they grew older. There was the So Gone Challenge, that song that Monica and Missy Elliott have, where everybody was kind of like doing their version of it as like a tribute to them. Um, somebody asked Brandy if she was going to make a song and she publicly dismissed it. I think she said something about like, ain't nobody got time for that or, or something like yeah. that. Um, 2017, Monica posted a tribute for Whitney Houston's birthday. And this was kind of the second leg of the beef that kind of took its own legs for like a number of years because uh, the 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 way people frame it is that Brandy is kind of very possessive of like Whitney's memory. And she like really holds dear the fact that Whitney like passed her the torch. And, you know, they had the whole Cinderella thing and she's been close to Whitney ever since then. And so... When Monica posted her tribute, Brandy kind of like, I think she posted an, another tribute where she like took some jabs and made sure to say that like, I'm so glad that Whitney passed me the torch. And like, so publicly there's just been like, they've been going back and forth for a while. I think there was also a time at the Essence Fest with Brandy 
was performing The Boy Is Mine and at the end of it she said The Song Is Mine yeah. and so it's like okay <laughs> like so you all are actually beefing like this is petty stuff um, and for the most part it seemed like Brandy was doing most of the jabbing I feel like throughout most of this beef and not, I mean who knows why but I mean, maybe to make up for the literal of the actual punching <laughs> yeah that's actually that's probably it um regardless of all of that I, it never really reached ahead beyond all of that um I mean I guess the the rehearsal fight is probably the biggest it ever got they did their verses a couple years ago which got it did huge numbers because everybody knows about how they have felt about each other. Kamala Harris made a cameo appearance. <laughs> yes, yeah, they were cordial. They held hands. Um, I mean, there was clearly it was it was clearly still tense. Like I could feel the tension when I was watching that versus, and like there were like offhand comments, but for the most part, it seems like they're fine. I don't expect this to like. It didn't seem like there was any animosity. I don't expect this to go further. No. Um, and I don't I don't really expect to get any more information about the original cause of the fight either. Yeah, Monica no. has said that the fans have no idea what really took place, what really caused the initial friction, and we vowed to keep that between us. So <laughs> yeah. I, I believe this is all we will ever know about yeah. Brandy versus Monica. I think and it's done. Yeah. Yeah. That's all right. The beef is served. <laughs> Well done. <laughs> um, all right, so let me jump quickly into Mariah Carey versus J-Lo. This is a short one because there wasn't really a lot here, but I just think this is funny, so I wanted to bring it up. Um, so you might, of course, remember the infamous interview that Mariah Carey gave in the early 2000s where I think somebody was just asking her about different R&B artists. Like, they asked her about Beyonce, and she was like, oh, yeah, Beyonce's nice. She's a good songwriter, all that type of stuff. And they asked her about J-Lo, and she said, I don't know her. And so, <laughs> from this point on, and it's like, number one, obviously Mariah Carey knows who Jennifer Lopez is. Like, so this was like, Mariah Carey is kind of like the queen of like petty, shady stuff like this. And I, I listened to the audiobook of her memoir, and it's all through there. Like, she is, she is queen of shade. And so they kind of would subliminally shade each other at many points publicly from this point on, with Mariah doing most of the shading. Um, it's all like petty comments here and there, nothing that's scathing. But in Mariah's memoir, she did detail like why I think she thinks the beef started from her perspective. So her ex-husband, Tommy Mottola, who was the head of Sony, they had like a whole drawn out, you know, divorce and all of that. So she said that he tried to give a song and a sample that she had used to J-Lo out of spite um, now, personally, I, I think that would just... There was no need to be mad at J-Lo for that. That seems like a more reason to be mad at him. Yeah. But she clearly took a lot of that out on J-Lo. Um, and she would, you know, have this beef with J-Lo over this from this point on. And, like, although I do think the talent differential between the two of them is very large. Like, J-Lo's a great dancer. But if we're talking about vocals and singing, like, Mariah clears J-Lo... 10 times out of 10 yes. like it's not a competition and Mariah has said that <laughs> like in so <laughs> many words in so many words like Mariah she I think this is later on somebody I was asking her and she was she was like yeah I don't I, I'm paraphrasing but she basically was like yeah like I'm giving vocals and, and all of that and I don't know what she's doing over there is essentially what 
Mariah Carey has said about J-Lo. So she is she has shaded her a lot. As it stands now, it doesn't really seem like anything has subsided. Like she released that memoir a couple years ago and she was still pretty petty in the book. Like she she didn't mention J-Lo by name, but she mentioned like, yeah, they tried to give my sample to another artist whom I don't know. <laughs> like she said that in the memoir. And this was like two years ago. So I, I think... I think they'll probably be cordial if they were ever to see each other in person. But um, I think Mariah is still, she still is committed to uh, to being petty when it comes to J-Lo. So there, there wasn't much here. J-Lo has never done anything really super petty. There was a point where she was at some award show and Mariah Carey was performing. And there was video of her being on her phone like during the performance and people were like oh this is part of the beef and they asked her about it and she was like she was like come on guys it was a long performance like <laughs> like she basically just her phone come on <laughs> yeah so I, I do think this beef has been relatively one-sided for the most part but it has been funny so that's mariah carey and jennifer lopez i wonder if mariah carey likes ashanti since ashanti is the one who actually sang most of j-lo's songs yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that that would be interesting. Yeah. Um, did you have you had another one, right? I did. Yes. Uh, Chris oh, Brown yes. versus Chris Brown. everyone. Yes. yes, yes. Um, this I think was uh the biggest outlier that I found in terms of famous R and beefs, uh, since it didn't involve a woman directly. Mm. Um, Chris Brown, I think, is. Um, an iconic bad boy musician in general, not the label, the persona. Um, And like, I also think that he has come up in an era of R&B where the genre was beginning to meld with hip hop a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Um, So it, what he, he didn't have to be as respectable to uh, get by and gain a following. um, And he hasn't been. Um, so over the years, he's had some, uh, famous relationship troubles. I won't go into any of them too much, but I will say that most of the beefs that he has had are tied to those romantic troubles in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found one billboard article that listed a total of eight people Chris Brown has publicly feuded with, um, most notable of those being Drake. Uh, Meek Mill and Frank Ocean, with whom he reportedly had a fist fight in a parking lot. I did hear about that. I wasn't sure how, how true it was, but I heard the rumblings of that. Who's to say? I think yeah. that's generally a characteristic of R&B. If we're never going to get a real faithful account of exactly <laughs> what happens. A lot of sources say allegedly, reportedly. I mean, it's it's beef in general, I think. Even in hip-hop. Yeah. Like, I mean, besides like the, the disses where it's like, okay, you all are actually like you know, publicly saying these things. Like, a lot of the stuff that happened behind the scene, we'll never know if it's actually, excuse me, actually true or not. Like, yeah. But, yeah, yeah, R&B especially there. They're not really trying to out this stuff. I also think that one of the things that makes Chris Brown's uh, beefs so, like, interesting is that he is one of the first R&B artists to have really public Twitter beefs. Mm, yeah. Um, Yeah. So... For example, um, after Adrian Balon, uh, one of the former hosts of The Real, 
talked about his relationship with Karuchi Tran. Isn't she also like Cheetah Girls? Isn't she- that- Cheetah Girls slash yeah. 3LW, yes. Right. Yeah. Uh, so no stranger to beef herself, Adrian Bayon. <laughs> but can I swear to on the podcast? To share? Yeah. Okay, okay, cool. <laughs> uh, Showtime, baby. Okay. I mean, we're not actually on Showtime. But, All right. You know, it's, but it's Showtime for us. the explicit tag. Okay. Um, <laughs> Uh, Chris took to Twitter and called uh, Adrian Baylon an old trout mouth ass bitch. <laughs> what? <laughs> this man is hilarious. I will, I will say, as as much as Chris Brown, I haven't, I have not been a fan of like his public persona and the things he has done, especially in his romantic relationships. When it does come to beefs, he is he is very funny, and he is always I'm always surprised that like wow that was actually a very hilarious thing you said. <laughs> he he does not hold back when it comes to his Twitter beefs. Oh, no. <laughs> <Dang. laughs> um, <laughs> this wasn't on Twitter, but as we know. Chris and Drake came to blows at a club yes. in 2012. Bottles were thrown. Bottles were thrown. Um, apparently, Chris sent Drake a champagne bottle. Uh, Drake responded to that overture by sending Chris a note uh, <laughs> along with the bottle being returned saying, I'm fucking the love of your life. Uh, and a brawl ensued. <laughs> Um, this this is actually absolutely true. I, I can I've I've heard enough accounts of this of this scuffle from so many different people, and this was huge when it happened. Like everybody was talking about this, but like I, this actually happened, and I think it happened like the way that it <laughs> the way that it it is said to have happened. Yes, I think somebody actually somebody very famous got like glass in their eye from being at this. They were like at the club. Oh, let me look that up. Was it Tony Parker? I think it was Tony Parker. Was it? Okay, yeah. yeah. He was like there, and I think he got glass in his eye and like ended up having to get that checked out because uh-huh. he was there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the beef concluded or was publicly acknowledged to have concluded in 2018 during Drake's uh, peacemaking era. Yes. He brought Chris out as a special guest on the Aubrey and the Three Migos tour. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, they have a song together now, No Guidance, mm-hmm, since then. Mm-hmm. So Dance battles. They are officially officially uh, acquaintances again. Um, okay, one, one more thing, and sort of tying Chris into a bigger R&B beef, um, the king of R&B debate of 2018. Oh, when Jacquees... <laughs> yes, when Jacquees declared himself the king of R&B for this generation. Oh my God. Uh, the R&B... Uh, the crooners were outraged and mm-hmm, took mm-hmm. to Twitter. Uh, Tank, Tyrese, mm-hmm. Usher weighed in, uh, so gave many. their opinions about whether Jacquees needs to sit down, whether they themselves were the king of R&B... Um, and to his credit, Chris Brown had probably the least spicy entry into this beef out of anybody. At the time, he tweeted, um, I'm loving all the R&B love. Heart emoji. Emoji. Hashtag shitfy. F-Y-E. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's probably because I think he's cool with Jacquees. Like, okay. I feel like they're... <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. I mean... <sighs> It, it was hilarious to me that all of these old head R&B artists got so upset about this because, like, anybody with a brain knows that Jacquees is not actually the king of R&B. And so the fact that he said that 
should have always just been funny to them. Like none of them should have actually gotten upset or like felt the need to say anything. Like oh, let so let Jacquees say this. No, everybody knows it's not true. The man had like two hits at the time. <laughs> like come on. And one of the hits was a remix of somebody else's song. Ooh. So like yeah yeah. Everybody was streaming live from their summer home. Oh yeah. And had a lot to say about who's actually the the king of R and B. Apparently Tank is still fighting this fight. Oh, is he? Yes. Uh, when I did a just a scroll through, um, I think it was either Source or Billboard. Anyway, Tank still has a lot to say about this. He got on Twitter recently and claimed that Chris Brown is a more gifted performer than Michael Jackson. Uh, and that in itself caused a stir. Tank said that? Tank said that. Um, he said, singer, dancer, writer, producer, actor, painter, clothing designer. Chris just generally has more gifts than Michael Jackson did. Um, so even if Chris isn't making the case that he's the king of R&B on his own, people are still out here doing it for him. Yikes. For what Tank that is worth. has bigger things to worry about. I'm pretty sure he's like deaf in one ear because he has like tinnitus or something like that so maybe you should just chill (laughs) yeah um although wasn't was it tank that was just at the no no never mind i was like was tank just at that show that we went to with anthony hamilton no it was joe it was joe anthony hamilton and uh maxwell i was like who was the headliner auntie palooza yes Speaking of Auntie Palooza, this is a great segue into the final uh, installment I have in in this R and Beef, and that is Patty Labelle versus Diana Ross. Um, not a lot here, but Patty Labelle essentially held a grudge against Diana Ross for over forty years. Um, there's always kind of been talk, like I'd always heard that like there was beef between Patty and Diana disliking each other, and apparently it started because in 1967. Cindy Birdsong, who was a member of Patti LaBelle and the Bluebells, so, like, one of the members of Diana Ross's group, the Supremes, was having issues due to, like, alcoholism and depression, and so Cindy Birdsong started to kind of, like, fill in for her at, like, different shows, um, and then she eventually took a permanent spot on the Supremes, so she, like, left Patti LaBelle's group, the Bluebells, to take this permanent spot on the Supremes with Diana Ross. And Patti has, like, took offense to that. And, like, apparently she was never, like, told about it or something. It just kind of happened. I don't know how true that is. But so she's basically been pissed at Diana Ross for 40 years over this. for basically stealing Cindy Birdsong from her group. Um, And she's, like, kind of been shading Diana Ross ever since. Um, and it seems like it's also another one of those situations where people would feed each of them like, oh, Patty said this about you and Diana said this about you. And so they've kind of just been beefing over that ever since with most of it coming from Patty. Um, so the beef just kind of kept growing because of he said, she said. And so then in 2005, there was some sort of Oprah event. Oprah didn't know that they were beefing. And she sat them at the same table. Oh, is this the Legends brunch? Yes. Okay. Yes, this is the Legends brunch. And so they were sat at the same table. Oh, and then they just, like, kind of got to talking and, like, revealed and, like, realized how much they liked each other. And that, like, they didn't really have any 
any like serious beef to continue beefing the exchange numbers. They've been friends ever since. So <laughs> this 40 year grudge ended because they they sat next to each other and started talking and realized, oh, you're kind of cool. You could say they had an aha moment. You could say they had an aha moment. Yes. At this Legends brunch. And so that's pretty much the whole beef. But I wanted to mention that because it was such a long beef with them shading and saying things about each other. Jeez. And like another misplaced beef too. Like why (laughs) would you be mad at the front woman of the other band when it's the individual who was in your group initially who made the choice to leave? Yeah. Maybe Patty was just like, you shouldn't have offered her. You should have even offered her a position without talking to me or something. I don't know. I mean, arguably true. But again, that's about the people who were setting that up behind the scenes, not about Diana Ross. Also interesting that it seems like maybe Beyonce just went to the Diana Ross School of R&B and learned that if you don't say anything, (laughs) you come out in the stronger position. Well, I do think that I just I just didn't like write this because none of it was like really worth saying. But I do think that Diana might have like made a comment here or there, like after the beef was like well into effect, like she wasn't just gonna keep getting like jabbed verbally. And I think she did say a couple things, but yeah, she she basically. I just want to know what exactly they. I feel like these jabs would have been very auntie esque, like she's a floozy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they were, yeah, a whole different, it's a different generation. Um, but yeah, that is, those are the R&B beefs, the R&B beefs. Um, I think the common thread is that a lot of third parties got involved in these beefs and kind of kept them going um, for drama and publicity sake, for money, basically. Because you'll see a lot of these beefs where when they actually sit down face to face, they're like, why don't we like each other? I said, what? I didn't say that. And they realized, like, oh, okay. Well, I don't really have a reason to hate you. So, <laughs> I guess we're cool. Um, but, yeah, do you have any closing closing thoughts on R&B? I mean, yeah, I feel like the record industry, uh, it's probably about time for them to try something new when it comes to... More beefs? Uh, perhaps, oh, you mean a new strategy? Perhaps okay. fewer beefs, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I feel like this... When we do have greater access to celebrities, we don't need a manufactured fight to make us interested in who these people are and where their music is coming from. Um, so I am, I know this isn't R&B, but like I, I'm excited by people like uh, Megan Thee Stallion and Cardi B like coming together and making music together and really staying committed to not being positioned as people fighting for like a limited number of spots in the game. Yeah, I will say though, I do think that this current generation of of musicians and artists are very competitive and it is easy for a lot of them to to get kind of dragged into the like to the same sort of situation like you got all the dolls like the dream doll, cash doll, and I feel like the Asian doll, I'm pretty sure is one of them. I'm pretty sure they had beef. <laughs> some of them had, like, I I feel like it's easy for some of them to get sucked into this whole, like, we're peers and we're competing type thing. And I don't know if that's really going to stop because I feel like the generations are just getting more and more competitive. But I don't know. I don't know. I, I personally enjoy a good a good hip-hop beef when it's like not super personal 
and it's like about I mean you can get personal but like when it's not to the point where like people are trying to like fight each other in the streets like at that point it's like alright guys let's calm down like <laughs> you all are just rappers like there's no need for this but like I, I do think that it's there's sort of an art to be able to like dissect and address conflict in music I think hip hop like actual diss tracks are kind of cool when done in a cool way but it's real easy for people to take it personally and so they usually get derailed before we can get a nice back and forth i mean the best one of the best ones in history is jay-z and nas and that got ugly and personal mm-hmm. tupac and biggie hit them up like oh my god <laughs> like that got really personal like it's almost inevitable because you're like competing music wise and music is your life it's probably hard to take the personal out of that the most recent one with Drake and the most recent big one with Drake and Pusha T that obviously got personal really quickly because <laughs> I mean because people are way more visible now we know more about people's personal lives or at least what they choose to share with us so that yeah. it quickly veers into what they have not chosen to share with us <laughs> yeah. which makes it yeah, exactly. real yeah. ugly real fast and, and, and I mean in hip hop at least that's that's part of the that's part of the the thing when you get into a beef it's like ooh let's see what you can dig up about this person to like air out like that's just how it's always been and so i mean you're obviously going to go with personal stuff because the music stuff is all there so but yeah um i i don't i don't know if there will be any huge r&b's coming anytime soon you never know man they're best when they surprise you. That's true. I mean, I'd love to see Beyonce. She's obviously too much of a. We don't need to get the behind. She'll involved. never. She'll never actually engage. But like, I would love because I think she is a creative person for Beyonce mm-hmm. to engage in some sort of like musical beef with someone else, where there are like songs coming back and forth and like videos. Like, I feel like Beyonce would be very good at that, um, just because of how creative she is with her videos and everything else in general. But she's too much of a professional to ever ever stoop to those levels so we'll never see that i also feel like there's really no one else in her weight class that's true so anyone she's gonna beef with she's gonna be punching down that's true that is true um yeah i personally would be intrigued by a janea eco beef just because like i want (laughs) to see what the dark side of her like soft woo-woo like burning sage aesthetic is like like let's let's hear you just like put in some hexes on these bitches in his songs yeah like, let's I've, get the let's get the sound bowls going to send bad vibes someone's way i feel like we've kind of heard that from a relationship standpoint with her i could see it her easily like addressing other other artists with that <laughs> but i also feel like she's too yeah that'll she yeah she Her knows what she's doing open. yes she's exactly yeah um all right so that is it for the dig deeper segment um that is it for the podcast folks um before we fold it up i have to ask you you have to ask two questions two answers possibly uh first um how do you feel like hanging it up after after seven years of being really really committed to doing this show and bringing excellence in detail every week uh i feel great um I think it was time for the podcast to be to to sunset. Um, 220 episodes is a lot. 
uh, considering how when I started this, I was mostly just doing it because I I liked doing it. Like I had a blog and I was like, man, I really like just like talking about music and like staying up to date with music. And then I was like, I think podcasts were probably starting to to really kick off at that point. And I was like, man, you know, ain't no like like popular podcast about hip hop. So I started one. Um, and then I was just like, really enjoyed like talking about, I, I think I, I just in general love talking to people about music, specifically hip hop and R&B, because it's so multifaceted. There are so many artists that are different, that approach music differently. Um, there's so many underlying themes and things to talk about. I, it's probably just one of my favorite things to talk to other people about. So this seemed like a good way to kind of get started with that. But at the same time, I was like, I'll just do this as a hobby. And hey, if it blows up, it blows up. Uh, it did not blow up. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, in the ways that like, you know, popular podcasts blow up. But that, that wasn't really the, you know, it's funny. Somebody actually, what were we watching? Somebody actually just said this on some show we were watching where they were like, if it's if it's a dream, you don't do it for money. You yeah, do it because it's your dream definitely. or something like that. I don't know what we were watching. I think, yeah. I, I know what you're talking about. Maybe it was that that roundtable we were Hollywood watching. That Hollywood Reporter roundtable. Yeah. It was Jake, Jake, whatever. Oh, the new girl guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he did say that. Yes, it was him. Um, and so that's why I started. I was just like, this is something that I enjoy doing, so I'm going to do it. And, you know, if anything big comes from it, that'd be great. But, and it's not that I no longer enjoy doing it. It's just that um, I do have other things that I would like to devote this level of detailed time too yeah um as i mentioned before i do want to write a book um and i there's no way i would have been able to devote any useful time to that while also still uh cranking out an episode of this every week um and so it felt right i had just done the 200th episode and i was like I was like, man, that's a lot of episodes. And then I was and then I also was like, man, do I really have anything more to say? And, you know, of course, there's there's topics that you can always go into. But I just felt like, you know, I had done a lot of and talked about a lot of the things and kind of gotten my viewpoints out there. Um, And so it felt like the right time. I made the list of the last things that I wanted to talk about. And I feel proud that for this final season that I I got everything in. like I mapped out the like 20 or so episodes that would happen in the season. And here we are 20 episodes later. I got every single one of them in. Thank you, Kendrick Lamar, for actually dropping an <laughs> album within within the, I guess, six months, seven months that I laid out for this season. Um, because that was one of the ones that was kind of up in the air. And then he right on time dropped his his album and right on time because I also anticipated because I've been doing this for a long time. And I kind of kind of had a feeling that we would get the album this year but to long story short to answer your question feel good um you know i'm not it's not like i'm like leaving leaving the space i do still plan on writing a music book possibly more down the line if uh, it turns out that i'm good at writing a book because who knows i might be a terrible writer um so gonna do that i i also i think plan on keeping the podcast instagram open i think i might push a lot of my just like random music thoughts and sharing to that space so i'll probably be using stories a lot and just like maybe just posting every now and then some music thoughts maybe i'll post a 
a yearly here are my best albums thing on Instagram rather than, you know, like obviously I'm not doing an episode anymore. But, you know, music things will go will go there, at least for the time being. But yeah, feel good about it. Got to uh, talk music with a bunch of people, created that podcast academy that, you know, were, was able to discuss music year after year for like five straight shows. So that was dope. Um, yeah. You had a second question, you said? I'll, I'll get to that. I just want to respond to what you just said, again, as an observer over the entire life of this project. Um, I think one of the, the big blessings, and you mentioned that um, the podcast didn't like blow up, it didn't become like, I don't know, <laughs> picked up by a podcast <laughs> network or whatever. Sure. And, and I think one of the blessings about that is that you were able to really have a vision carry that vision out in a way that wasn't compromised by what advertisers wanted what a network wanted you to say what labels wanted you to say like you were able to really get your perspective out there hone your craft as a not just a host but a producer um produce some really thoughtful well-researched content um, and really make it what you wanted it to be the entire time. I think like public public attention and like partnership with networks and stuff comes with compromises. And this was so like beautifully and authentically you. And mm-hmm. it's been a real joy as your partner to see that grow and evolve as you have grown and evolved over the last several years. So I'm really proud of this show. I'm really proud of you. Um, I am committing now. I will read every draft of your book. <laughs> I mean, you better. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Um, um, I'm I do excited appreciate to that. see where you go next. Uh, I will say, if I if resources were unlimited, if there was a thing that I would have liked to have done with the podcast during its run that I didn't really get the chance to. Um, musically being able to like have like I mean and, and I did this uh, I did this kind of rogue for a while just like putting music in the podcast mm-hmm. all willy nilly um, but if I had been able to like employ music the way I would have liked to there probably would have been a number of episodes where I would have like treated this just like a uh, like a radio show like a live radio show and that I would have like maybe like done like a music mix for like an entire and i did that one episode in the like this was like season one like maybe track 14 or something where like the entire episode was just me playing like a playlist essentially so that would have been cool to do it would have been cool like if this got like big big like interview artists um like bigger artists obviously um or even local ones that's and that's something i probably could have made happen but the time didn't didn't permit but um yeah, for the most part, I got to talk about what I wanted to talk about. Um, <laughs> there's still that list of topics that I, like, thought about, but just never really, like, materialized. Like, that whole, like, Jamie Fireman. I, mean, I talked about this for so long about doing a... I think it actually started as a blog post where I was like, I'm going to make a blog post about, like, Jamie Foxx's potential as an R&B artist and, like, how we we never really got that. And then I just never actually... I don't know. It never seemed like the right time to put it out. Yeah. Um, and then there was the whole 
the whole I had like a Trey Songs one, like comparing him from a not from a talent perspective, but from a uh like a cultural perspective to R. Kelly and like the way he approaches his music from like a a songwriting perspective and like the vulgarity of it and like all of that I had that was one of them but I never really I don't know never really felt right and then and then obviously R. Kelly I don't really want to talk about him at all anyway so so that kind (laughs) of just put the kibosh in that (laughs) we didn't record that in 2015 for sure um yes you had a second question sorry oh uh my second question is a lot less serious like is this like a Jay-Z retirement where you like say you're retiring and then you come back in a couple years or is it like for real, for real, the end? Uh, I would say for now it is definitely for real, for real, the end. Um, I, I flirted with the idea of like, Oh, maybe I'll do like a yearly episode and come back. But I don't, what's the point of doing that? Like if I'm, if I'm gone. So, um, I think I'm going to let, uh, my tweets and Instagram speak for me musically um, from now on, and then possibly maybe even my pages. Uh, we'll see. So stay tuned for more on the book. Um, I'll probably be posting that out to the Instagram once things get going on that. But that is, I think, the next big musical project I want to work on is really fleshing that out and making it, I think, as good as as this podcast from a like research perspective and a thought mm. perspective, I just want to make sure that it's cause like, obviously like I don't expect this to be like a, <laughs> like a New York times bestseller. Um, it's just something that I want to do and I think it'd be cool to do. Um, so I'm going to do it. Uh, you have yeah. truly been my number one source for hip hop and news. <laughs> <laughs> anything that I know. <laughs> can't say the tagline and not get an error. Yes. <laughs> wow. This episode is truly complete. I'm so honored. Let me see what else I got here on this mixer. <laughs> Stop. On. Cut it off. It's the most. <laughs> we have officially jumped the shark time. <laughs> oh. I'm from around the way. I'm leaving with something. Denzel Washington. Yeah, it's, okay. it's a clip from. All right, listeners, <laughs> that has been another episode of Thinking Outside the Boombox. I'm from around the way. I'm leaving with something. I'm leaving with something. And that something <laughs> is the love and admiration of all you listeners. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in for seven years, for 220 episodes, for all of the foolishness, for all of the research, for all of the dope conversations. I appreciate it. Uh, some special thanks to members of the Academy, all like 13 to 15 of you. I appreciate you all uh, taking those ballots and, uh, and listening to music and submitting your votes year after year and having conversations with me um, on air. Uh, big shout out to my cousin Joe. Uh, I believe he probably still holds the record for the most appearances on the podcast so shout out to you um especially for especially in the early in the early uh editions of the podcast like you were on all the time <laughs> just talking about any album that that came out so big shout outs to you big shout outs to, to everybody that was a guest on the podcast you already know what it is for one final time this has been thinking outside the boombox your number one source for hip-hop and r&b news <laughs>
Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.